Last week we looked at Matthew chapter 5, 38 to 42. We spoke about the prohibition. We saw there the prohibition of taking personal vengeance. That we are not in our personal dealings with people to operate on the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth principle. We are to be in our personal dealings with people, those who deal mainly in grace, mainly in mercy. We saw, of course, that it's not wrong to seek justice from the magistrate or to leave room for the vengeance of God, but that primarily we ought to be characterized as gracious people as those who ourselves have received grace. So we also ought to extend grace to others. In Matthew 5, 43 to 48, Jesus continues applying the truth introduced in the section before. He's on this sort of the same theme about grace and mercy. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. However, it's actually not so much his further application or further unpacking of this idea or these concepts that we're going to be focusing in on here tonight, but rather we're actually going to be focusing in on the logic of Jesus in telling us what kind of people that we ought to be. So we're just looking at an aspect of 43 to 48 without actually really looking at sort of the main idea that Jesus is trying to get across. I want you to see first from this passage that we are to do more and be perfect. Look at verse 47. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? The implication here is that you shouldn't just be doing what others are doing. You should be doing more. Look at verse 46. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? In other words, don't just do what other people do. Do more. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? Jesus presses on us a principle that as his disciples, after all, that's who he's teaching. Go back to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1 and 2. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, taught who? The disciples, saying, So we know that Jesus is pressing here. If you would be Jesus' disciple, you must do more than others. That's the assumption that Jesus makes here. It's an implication of Jesus' rhetorical questions. You shouldn't just do what others do. You should do more. And then in verse 48, be perfect. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So Jesus presses on us these imperatives. 
Do more. Be perfect. This sounds like a motivational speech that a coach or a trainer might give before a big game or at halftime or after the first quarter or whatever juncture you're trailing and the coach comes in and says, we have to do more. In the second half, we have to go out there and we have to be perfect. Execute every play just like we practiced. There's no room for error. Be perfect. We weren't perfect in the first half, so do more. This is how we're going to win this game. We know, of course, Nike's slogan, just do it. When I say we are to do more and be perfect, it sounds very much in this vein. And a lot of preachers will say that that's not what Christianity is. It's not about doing more. It's not about being perfect. It's about grace. But that fails to reckon with the words of Jesus here in this passage, doesn't it? Because Jesus tells us, do more. Jesus tells us, be perfect. These preachers are right in one sense, and that Christianity is more than merely doing more and striving for perfection, but seeking to do more and seeking to be perfect is part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. These are things that Jesus himself presses on us here in this section before us. Listen, the difference between legalism, which is not true Christianity, the difference between legalism and gospel obedience is not in the standard that we ought to meet. It's not as if legalism holds us to a higher standard and gospel obedience is like, well, you can't do that. So down here, just do your best. Legalism says be perfect and the gospel says, don't worry about perfection, just do your best. That's not the difference between legalism and gospel obedience. The difference is not that legalism says keep God's law and the gospel says don't worry about God's law, it's all about grace. The difference is, isn't that legalism says you're not good enough yet, do more, and the gospel says you're fine, you're good enough for God, just relax. The difference is not in the standard. The difference between legalism and gospel obedience even in Christ Jesus, the standard remains the same. We ought to do more. We ought to be perfect. We read earlier in our service from Romans chapter 13 where it says love is the fulfilling of the law. We talked briefly about this idea that God has never 
wants at any point in history, in any case, in any instance, relaxed any of the demands which are intrinsic to which are connected to his character. In other words, there's, as I said, there's never been a time when it's been okay to murder. There's never been a time when it's been okay to commit adultery. There's never been a time when it's been okay not to love. Because to do those things is inconsistent with God's character. And God never changes. Therefore, He's always displeased with that which contradicts His character. And so the standard has always been the same. Keep God's law. Or love. However you want to say it. The standard has always been the same. It's been the same in the Old Testament. It's been the same in the New Testament. It is the same outside of Christ Jesus. You realize that unbelievers are under God's law. In the sense that they are expected to obey God's law. And they will be judged for not keeping God's law. And believers are under God's law in the sense that we are expected to keep God's law and we will be held accountable for our breaches of God's law. God still requires obedience even of Christians. God doesn't say, well, now that you're a Christian, it's fine to murder. Now that you're a Christian, it's fine to commit adultery. Now that you're a Christian, it's fine not to love. And so Jesus here presses the same standard, actually, that legalism would press on us. Notice I didn't say Jesus is a legalist. We're going to get to that in a minute. But Jesus presses on us the same standard that legalism would press on us. Doesn't he? Do more. Be perfect. The difference between legalism and gospel obedience is not to be found in the standard that we ought to meet. What is the difference between legalism and gospel obedience then? If not in the standard that we ought to meet. Gospel obedience is predicated on different motives than legalism. Tim Keller famously stated it like this. Legalism goes, says something like this. I obey, therefore I'm accepted. Whereas gospel obedience goes something like this. I'm accepted, therefore I obey. That's the difference. Is why you're doing it. In what context you're doing it. Within what schema are you doing it. Legalism says do more and be perfect so that God will accept you. Do more and be perfect if you want God to love you. That's what legalism says. And you realize that that's basically what every other religion or spiritual path says. Even if they're polytheistic, or pantheistic, or atheistic, basically every other path says, do more, 
be perfect, and then you will receive your reward. But what does Jesus say on the other hand? Remember, I didn't say that Jesus was a legalist. I just said that he presses on us the same standard that legalism presses on us, which is do more and be perfect. Look at verse 45. Well, look at verse 44, and then we'll go to 45. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Now, at first glance, this sounds a lot like legalism. Because it sounds like this. Do more and be perfect so that you will become sons of God. But look at it more carefully. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father. Whose father is he? Theirs. You see that? He doesn't say, so that you may be sons of my father. He doesn't say, so that you may be sons of the father. The father who is in heaven. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. The sense of verse 45 is not that we become sons by loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us, but that we bear the likeness of sons, or manifest the likeness of sons, by loving our enemies, and praying for those who persecute us. We already are, if we are disciples of Jesus, we already are sons. We already are daughters. Look at verse 48. You therefore must be perfect as whose heavenly father is perfect? As your heavenly father is perfect. You see that? He is already their father. And it's in that context that Jesus presses on them. Do more. Be perfect. What about... Philippians 2, 14 and 15. It reads like this. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, etc., etc. Other versions say this. Do everything without grumbling and complaining that you may become children of blameless and pure children of God. Is that teaching that if we do things without grumbling and complaining, we will become children of God? In other words, legalism? No. The emphasis is on the blameless and innocent. Or the blameless and pure. You're going to become blameless and pure by stopping your grumbling. Not you're going to become children by stopping your grumbling. 
You are children of God, now become blameless and pure children of God by ceasing your grumbling and your complaining. I raise that only because the grammar of the passage, especially if you read it in the King James, could lead us to think otherwise and could undermine the message that I'm trying to, the main point of the message I'm trying to get across this evening. Jesus, Paul in Philippians, throughout the New Testament, it's presented to us this way. We don't become children of God by our obedience. We, we do not obey in order to be accepted. We are accepted, therefore we obey. This is the big idea of tonight's message. We become children of God by faith in Christ. But then we ought to bear a family resemblance. John chapter 1 verses 12 and 13 speak about how we become children of God. To all who did receive Him, this is John chapter 1, so it's the beginning of a gospel. So who do you think the Him is? Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John tell us of the coming of Christ and His life. To all who did receive Him, that is Jesus, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. How did we become children of God? Look back at 1 John chapter 1. Was it by having no sin? If we say we have no sin, 1 John 1, 8, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 1 John 1, 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Is John's understanding, be perfect, do more and be perfect, and then you will be sons of God? No. John's telling us that we're all sinners. How then? John chapter 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. Verse 1 and 2, pardon me. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Is it do more and be perfect so that God will accept you? No. It's even when you have not done more, even when you have not been perfect. Jesus Christ the righteous will be an advocate for you. How do you get rid of your sin? God can't just wink at it, overlook it. Look at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. 
He is the propitiation for our sins. Jesus. The logic here, how we become children of God. The lo- see what love, 1 John 3 and verse 1. See what love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. It's not predicated on doing more and being perfect. It's predicated on Jesus Christ the righteous, who is our advocate, who is our propitiation. If we confess our sins, if we say we have not sinned, we lie. But if we confess our sins, He forgives. It is not do more and be perfect so that you may become children of God. Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 10 and 11. For it is fitting, it was fitting that He for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified have one source. That is why He is not ashamed to call them brothers saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. We don't have time to unpack all of that tonight, but let me highlight this. There are people who need to be saved and who need to be sanctified, whom Jesus calls brothers. So is the paradigm here, do more and be perfect, and then you will be sons of God. Or is the paradigm, you will be sons of God by grace. Because of the work of Jesus Christ. Surely it's the latter. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. He predestined us for adoption as sons. Not because we do more And be perfect. Look at verse 4. He chose us in order that we should be holy and blameless. In other words, He chose us before we were holy and blameless. In love, He predestined us for adoption before we were holy and blameless. In order that as sons, He might make us holy and blameless. So we circle back around to Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and 48. Those are just a sampling of other passages to show you that the logic throughout the New Testament is the same. It's never do more and be perfect in order for God to accept you. It's never that. You become children of God by receiving Christ Jesus. By believing in His name. By trusting in Christ's advocacy for you. 
by trusting in His propitiation for you. By realizing that He is the founder of your salvation. It is He who sanctifies. It is He who brings many sons to glory. That's how you become children of God. It is by grace. Trusting in what Jesus has done for you. That's how you become children of God. That's how you become disciples of Jesus. But having become disciples of Jesus, He turns around and tells us, do more and be perfect. Look again at this passage. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? Listen, when we think about the standard of righteousness, we are not to think on the horizontal plane. We are not just to look at the house next to us and say, are we as righteous as them? We are not to look simply at the person in the cubicle next to us at our office and say, are we as righteous as them? Or the person in the classroom next door and say, are we as righteous as them? We're not to be on the highway, stuck in traffic, thinking about the Christian life and looking at all the people in the cars around us and thinking, are we as righteous as them? And if we are being satisfied with that, that is not the standard. We are to do more than that. We are to be perfect. Look again at this passage, verse 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Look again at the logic of 44 and 45. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his, he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. In other words, be like your dad. Be like your father. Look at him. He's perfect. He's kind to his enemies. He sends the sun and the rain on the evil and the good. The just and the unjust. Look at him and emulate him. Copy him. Be like your father. That's Jesus' logic here in this passage. He's already your father. By grace, through faith in Christ. And that's what makes this not legalism. But the standard is the same. We ought to be striving. Not to measure ourselves against the people around us, but to measure ourselves continually against God's holiness. And thereby to do more than the people around us. Never mind if no one else is doing it. Never mind if no one else cares about this particular breach or violation of God's law. It's irrelevant what other people are doing. Do more. Do what God expects you to do. Never mind if you're like the people around you or not. Be like God, who is perfect. That's the standard. 
strive for that. It may seem like a small difference or a matter of semantics to say that we obey because we already are children rather than saying that we obey to become children. But it's a difference between a father who disowns a son for bad behavior, saying, you're dead to me, and a father who says to his disobedient son, you'll always be mine. I love you so much, even when you do wrong things. But it puts a strain on our relationship when you do. Change your ways so that you and I can experience a more harmonious relationship. You see, it's not a small difference at all. It makes a huge difference. What kind of home you live in. How you conceive of your relationship to God. Do you feel like you're going to screw up and God's going to be like, you're dead to me? If so, you have a legalistic mindset. You have a mindset of do more and be perfect so that God will accept me. And that's wrong. That's not gospel obedience. That's not what Jesus is requiring of us here in this passage. But if your mindset is, I am a son of God or a daughter of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Because God is my father, I love him and I want to do what pleases him. I want to be like him and bear a family resemblance. I want to be like Jesus, which is what God has predestined me for. That I should be conformed to the image of the Son. He chose me in Him before the foundation of the world in order that I should be holy and blameless. And I want to see that end realized and achieved in me. I don't want to grieve my Father. I want to please my Father. I want to be like Him. And so I will strive to do more and be perfect. That is what Jesus is pressing on us and requiring of us here in Matthew chapter 5. Grace does not change the standard. That's not where the difference is to be found between legalism and gospel obedience. Grace changes the schema, the paradigm within which we try to do more and be perfect. Grace changes the context within which we endeavor to do more and be perfect. Grace radically shifts the motivations in our hearts for doing more and striving to be perfect. So get it clear in your mind. The gospel is a gospel of grace. You are accepted by God, not based on what you do, but based on what Jesus has done. You become a child of God by believing in Christ Jesus, by receiving Him, as John chapter 1 says. By trusting in His advocacy, His propitiation, as 1 John chapter 2 says. That is the love of God that we are urged to see at the beginning of 1 John chapter 3. And verse 1, that God would provide Jesus Christ to be an advocate, 
to be a propitiation. That God, in bringing many sons to glory, would send Christ Jesus to sanctify and save us. That's the love that we're urged to see in 1 John chapter 3. That's the trust that we are called to place in Jesus Christ. And it is by that transaction, which is gracious, we put our faith in Christ Jesus and are received as sons and daughters. We become children of God by grace through faith. That's how the gospel works. But having come to Christ, we are nevertheless urged by the Lord Jesus to continue to pursue that perfection which God has always required of His human creation. We're not to measure ourselves against the people around us, but to seek to do more, to measure ourselves against God, to always strive to be like our Father, to bear a family resemblance. This is part of what the path of discipleship looks like as Jesus teaches His disciples in the Sermon on the Mount here at the end of Matthew chapter 5.